Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hageman, coming to you every Tuesday with our fun podcast of the week featuring whatever random story we've got this week. Things from history, things dealing with cults, cats, coffee, Victorian England as a favorite, <laughs> uh, whatever the case may be. Um Jenny knows what we're going to talk about. I have no idea, as always, so uh, get to try to figure it out here and see if I actually know anything about this topic or have ever heard of it before. So, Jenny, give me some hints here. What are, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about the path to glory through radioactivity. Ooh, the path to glory through radioactivity. Well, that and- sounds in. The accidental self-poisonings that can happen. Ah, okay. Radioactive self-poisoning. Hmm. So. Pretty modern. Okay. Because we, we did the, you know, we did the radium girls a while back. So. Other radioactive self-poisoning. Um, maybe tanning. If you call that, you know, it's, it's radiation. It's not ionizing radiation, but, you know, it's, it's UV rays. So it's true, but not what we're going to talk about. And I mean, this has a lot of different kinds. I'll talk about the different kinds of uh, radiation. Okay. Um, like I initially thought, oh, I could do uranium glass because that's super fascinating. Uh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, people but- licking the americium out of smoke detectors. How's that? Smoke detectors are involved. All right. Americium is involved. Okay. It happens cool. in the 90s. Huh. People eating americium to live forever. I have no idea. It's, it's a there is a Boy Scout in the 90s mm-hmm. that built a nuclear reactor in his own home. Nice. I think I've heard of this, but I know no details whatsoever. So It's... A pretty wild ride, like <laughs> insane. So the the short peak of it is um, he doesn't try to become famous. He just like that's a later effect. Um, he was a Boy Scout who wanted to get his Eagle Scout badge. Um, and he did so by trying to build a nuclear reactor in a potting shed. <laughs> And the story's just wild. So it starts around the age of 10. Mm-hmm. At the age of 10, he is given a book from his dad. It's called The Golden Book of Chemistry Experiments. It's a 1961 children's chemistry book. And even in the 60s, which I feel like that's a pretty lawless time. Yeah. It was kind of uh, the subject of controversy because there were a ton of safety concerns in the book, right? Yeah. A bunch of the reactions used or generated toxic and corrosive substances. Now, while this book does not include a tutorial on how to build a nuclear reactor, he managed to create a DIY neutron source in the shed, putting about 40,000 people at risk with the radiation levels that he emitted. (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because, you know, I, I just know, yeah, like my, my dad graduated from high school in 62. And I know that like when he was in high school, his chemistry teacher just taught some of the, the more advanced students who were bored, how to make, you know, tear gas and, you know, it was they got into, in the they 60s. got into associated trouble, you know, can't imagine how that could go wrong. Somehow somebody tear gassed the men's locker room and other stuff. Who knows who that could have been? So, yeah, this kiddo, his name is David Hahn. And his life starts as many young, adventurous peoples do with an interesting home life, right? Yeah. So his parents divorced when he was a toddler and he lived with his dad. Um, his dad worked for General Motors as an automotive engineer and his stepmom lived at home as well. And they live in uh, Clinton Township, Michigan. And it's his dad who gives him, or I'm sorry, it's his stepmother's father who gives him this chemistry book, right? It's a present. They think it's cute. Mm -hmm. He's 10. He's reading it. Two years later, he's 12 and he finds his dad's chemistry note, his chemistry books from college. And he's reading those like, you know, his favorite things to read. Yeah. On the weekends, he'd go to his mom's house in Golf Manor, and there he'd read the Encyclopedia Britannica. So he's kind of a precocious young yeah. reader, right? Mm-hmm. So remember in the 60s, they had those little chemistry kits Oh yeah, that you could buy, right? So yep. he set up a lab in his bedroom. And um, during one of his experiments, he mostly blew it up. <laughs> and his dad was like this probably is not something we want in the main house why don't you build this in the basement and mm. he was like great um because i'm just gonna do it bigger and then his dad was like you know on second thought maybe you should do it out in the shed because i feel like anything in the house is gonna burn the house down right yeah he's like okay so this kid moves all of his stuff out to the shed and he decides that his experiments need more gumption. He needs to get more information. He needs to build upon the things that he's learning as one does as a precocious youth. Yeah. So he contacts the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, gain, trying to gain insight on the steps of building a breeder reactor. <laughs> Here's the thing. Whenever he called, they gave him the information he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time he had these very involved like cover stories and aliases. Yeah. And it was really simple. It's like, Hey, I'm teaching high school and we just have some questions on breeder reactors. If you could give me some info and they would like, yeah, yeah here you go. Let's share that info. Yeah. For those of you that aren't in the know on breeder reactors, it's a nuclear reactor that basically it's gives a kind of end side product of basically fissile material you can use in a bomb. And these are one of the things that we've been, you know, basically having sanctions against Iran for, for making and other things. So, you know, we're actively, you know, providing sanctions against other countries for trying to make breeder reactors and other sort of stuff. And someone's trying to make it out in their potting shed and the, you know, the department of energy is apparently just sharing this information. <laughs> so Throwing it great. out there. <laughs> it's like, all right, sure. Why not? So obviously he's interested in creating a breeder reactor. And this is, you know, one thing that he's interested in. He's reading about chemical experiments as much as possible. And he teaches himself how to manipulate the reactions. And he is eventually awarded a merit badge in Boy Scouts for atomic energy in 1991. Mm -hmm. These are things they just hand out. 
And he supplemented his practical research with long study sessions at the library. And I'm sure his parents were like, you know what? He could be into crack. At least he's just in the potting shed or at the library. They didn't Mm -hmm. think much of it. And the thing is, is that he was fascinated and had really obsessive goals. And there's two big ones. Number one, the breeder reactor. The Mm -hmm. other is he wanted to collect each element on the periodic table, regardless of how radioactive it was. I would like to state that hopefully this kiddo would have been picked up um, by a school counselor in the current times as a red flag that something, his obsessions might be a little intense, but maybe I'm wrong. So the, uh, pardon? It'll be hard to know. Right. How much he talks about it and what all he does at school. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's a well-kept secret if I'm honest and I'll explain why. So, We know that the homemade nuclear reactor would have been a more complex task than creating a homemade breeder reactor because they require pretty dangerous materials. The breeder reactor utilizes the more available chemical isotope of uranium-238, the chemical element of thorium, while nuclear reactors only use uranium-235, which is pretty scarce. So Mm -hmm. essentially, he used what was easy to find, which is a little scary. Yeah. So he uses household items and a lead block as a stand-in reactor and gets to work. Um, So he starts collecting thorium from lanterns, radium from clocks, tritium from gun sites, and lithium from $1,000 worth of batteries that he bought and paid for himself. (laughs) He utilized coffee filters and pickle jars to handle dangerous and deadly chemicals. Um, The only protective item that he wore was a gas mask and it's possible that this lack of protection, you know, affects his life expectancy, but we'll get into that later. So during his various experiments in the shed with his coffee filters and pickle jars, um, he kind of just pushes through. He has accidental burns on his skin. Um, One time he turned his hair green and he also has caused himself to pass out a few times because there's not a lot of ventilation in the shed. Yeah. That's uh... That sounds not good. Right? But his experiment does meet the threshold. He creates a crude neutron source. Um, He's unable to produce fissionable fuel at the rate of other reactors, but it's spreading detectable radiation pretty far into the neighborhood at this point. (laughs) Okay. So then we hit age 14. He fabricates nitroglycerin. out of glycerol, sulfuric acid, and nitric acid, and makes his own fireworks with powdered magnesium. So he's starting to get kind of like a reputation as this guy that plays with chemicals. He works after school to finance his experiments, but also gets caught stealing smoke detectors so that he can steal the Americum 241 um, because he knew it was held in a gold matrix inside of the devices. He had his own Geiger counter, um, And his experiment was pretty successful in that he could tell that there was a lot of radioactivity going on um, (laughs) and put 40,000 people at risk of radioactivity. So he extracted this americium. Americium? Yeah, americium. Americium. Yep. Americium 241 from the old smoke detectors and then welded that together using a blowtorch because that's safe. <laughs> God. 
And then he extracted the thorium from thousands of lanterns using his blowtorch. He purifies it at least 9,000 times the level found in nature and 170 times the level that requires NRC licensing. (laughs) He wrote to a Czechoslovakian firm that sold uranium at the time to commercial and university buyers who he'd gotten the name from from the national radioactivity people. And, uh, tried to purchase that and then formulated his own nitric acid to isolate the uranium that he was ordering. Nice. And like I said, this is a well-known endeavor that he's just a little nutty about chemistry, right? Yeah. Um, So once upon a time, he and his girlfriend are on a drive and his Geiger counter went wild while he was going past a resale boutique antique kind of place And it's because he found out they had an old clock with glow-in-the-dark numbers painted with rare and discontinued radium paint from the radium girls. There you go. Um, But also inside was a can of the paint from the radium itself. Oh, God. So, of course, he had to buy it. (laughs) His Geiger counter, he ordered it by mail from a firm out of Arizona and then mounted it to the dashboard of his Pontiac. Um. And it just gets weirder, right? Yeah. A friend stole him a strip of beryllium from a local community college chemical lab. He got tritium from the -the glow-in-the-dark gun and bow sites sold at local sporting goods stores. And to concentrate radium, he secured a sample of barium sulfate from the x-ray ward at a local hospital. And the staff were more than happy to give it to him because they remember he was working on the Atomic Energy Merit Badge. Yeah. They're like, absolutely, this sounds totally safe, right? Yeah. Well, that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't know that we've kind of glossed over. The whole americium thing is that basically every smoke detector has got a radioactive source inside of it, that that's what it actually uses is a little detector. And once enough of the little alpha particles being emitted bounce off the the smoke over to the detector, then it knows there's smoke there. But yeah, you got to be careful when you open them up because it's got a little source and it's fine. But if you break the source open, you can get that stuff all over you. And you the worst know. thing is to get it inside you because alpha stuff doesn't really penetrate the skin. But if you eat it or breathe it, you're in serious trouble. So that's so he's talking about welding this stuff. That's oh god. Well, he so, wore a mask. He's fine. Yeah, he's fine. No problem. I'm he sure definitely he, washed, sure he his, washed hands his hands after. well, right? Yeah. So the americium, nope, I already lost it, um, goes on to be an interesting source of contention. Yeah, yeah. Because he's 17. He's driving around town looking for, you know, radioactive sources with his Geiger counter mounted to his car. (laughs) Eventually, he's going to get pulled over by the cops, right, for something. And he does. So the cops pull over and they're like, hey, man, what's this weird toolbox in your trunk? And he just kind of looks at him and he's like, you know, for chemicals. So he has this toolbox that he's like duct taped and locked so people can't get into it easily. And it's full of the Maricicium. Yeah. So we know that he was trying to construct a breeder reactor using all these random ass things. And he'd been collecting them from pretty low level isotope sources. Mm -hmm. Um, But over time, this is starting to like get somewhere, right? He has a bunch of materials, However, he's never able to achieve nuclear fission because the materials were pretty low level and insufficient. He just had Mm -hmm. a shit ton of different ones. Yeah. 
But when he realized how much measurable radiation um, his items were emitting, he determines that it's time to dismantle some of his experience, his experiments, right? Yeah. But it's a little too little too late because the cops show up and they're like, hey, um, remember that toolbox? We're a little, we just want to know what's in your shed, man. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, okay, sure. No problem. So he goes, just so you know, it's radioactive. And they're like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? It's radioactive. What do you mean the shed is radioactive? So they're just kind of like, what do we do? And so they open the door and they find this evidence of all these really, really dangerous experiments. And the experiments and all the materials pose a number of health risks. So they contact the EPA. And the EPA shows up and they're like, oh my God, this is a big deal. (laughs) This property now qualifies as a Superfund hazardous materials cleanup site. (laughs) So it's a huge deal because the Federal Radiological Emergency Response Team, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and the FBI have now this gigantic investigation. Mm -hmm. So the whole property is declared a Superfund cleanup site. It took a year from from the time that they found it And he's arrested because they do arrest him until the backyard shed was dismantled and cleaned up. Nice. The cleanup cost $60,000 in Mm 1995-ish. That's really not that much money. And the EPA workers dismantled the shed and loaded the remains into 39 sealed barrels and put it in a semi-trailer and then dumped it in a a facility that's located in the Great Salt Lake Desert. Um, and when they take all of his stuff away, he becomes unconsolably depressed, like absolutely devastated. And, you know, he's looking at all of this work that he's done for years and they're just throwing it in the garbage and burying it out in the middle of nowhere. And he's devastated, but they don't really report it in like the newspaper. It's very (laughs) quiet. The neighbors don't even know what's going on. Like the neighbors didn't notice the EPA and the FBI just showing up one day. Right. They don't find out until he tells his story in 1999 when he's like 22 years old. Yeah. So the neighbors are pretty lucky. No radioactive materials leaked out enough that they needed medical evaluation. Mm -hmm. And he himself refused medical evaluation for radiation exposure. So who knows? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's likely that he's exposed to radiation, right? Yeah. They never are able to test the levels of radiation poisoning. Um, and because he took such minimal like precautions, yeah. they were like, oh, he's going to die young. Like, yeah, but there's nothing you no can question. do about it at this point anyway. So, right. I can understand just being like, you know, I'll just see what happens to him. <laughs> we'll see what happens. This yeah. is new life. So remember, he's 17 when the cops raided the place. Yeah. So his lab's totally dismantled and he achieves his Eagle Scout. Um, However, there is some contention about like, should he get it or not? Because, you know, he might have accidentally placed a bunch of people's lives at risk. Also, I'm not really sure how it like qualifies as a service to others, which is like Eagle Scouts generally are doing a service for others. That's the whole service project. Yeah. Right. Um, But yeah, whatever. 
regardless of whatever progress he'd made after his experiment is shut down, he kind of has trouble finding some direction. Um, He said that, you know, when I was a kid, I was really emotional. The experiments gave me a way to get away from that. And they earned me a lot of respect from people, which is terrifying because they were probably terrified and he doesn't associate that. Right. Yeah. So eventually the story does get out. And like I said, in 99, um, and it's, it's pretty widely known. And he starts getting referred to as the radioactive boy scout in the school and in media, but he was not enjoying his fame. He's totally depressed. Um, his mom dies in 1996, which makes it worse. So his dad convinces him to enroll in metallurgy at the local community college, like thinking, you know, we'll get you back into the realm, but safely, right? Yep. Unfortunately, he fails. So once again, his dad comes in and he's like, you know what? I have, I have some ideas. Um, what if you enrolled in the Navy, which seems like a pretty decent place. So David serves four years as a seaman and a nuclear powered USS Enterprise aircraft carrier. Unfortunately, because he has so much previous exposure to radiation, he's not allowed to work with the ship's reactors, which might have really helped some of his depression since he's so obsessed. And then he is done after four years with the Navy and enlists as a Marine Corps um, recruit before being honorably discharged on medical grounds. He's discharged because he has been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia from the obsessive compulsive nature of what he's up to, right? So sadly, he dies in 2016. Um, Surprisingly, he does not die of radiation poisoning, which is what everyone expected. Yeah. But prior to that, in 2007, after he's out of the military, he's already got this diagnosis of potentially being paranoid schizophrenic. He's charged with larceny because he starts stealing his apartment building smoke detectors. And of course, immediately when someone recognizes it's him, the cops are like, we're just going to stop you while you're ahead, man. Yes. Stop doing this. Um, because this theft was significant for the small amounts of the americium. Americium. There you go. Um, and their big fear, of course, is that he's going to start building a new shed. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they evacuate residents from his apartment building for like five hours while they go in and check out to make sure he doesn't have a massive stockpile because it wasn't just his apartment building, but several surrounding apartment buildings. He'd been stealing, stealing smoke. With that kind of history. I mean, that's where you start worrying about like a dirty bomb or something. I mean, you know, right. You release that stuff into the air and people are breathing it. It can get real bad. So, you know, and in an apartment building and with a guy who's been discharged who has issues with depression and obsession. Very scary. Yeah. Don't really want him with tons of radioactive crap. You don't. So at the time of the incident, um, (laughs) the cops were not taking chances when they realized he had moved into town. They already had been tracking him and keeping track of radioactivity in the area, like just driving by with Geiger counters regularly. So coinciding with his return to home after he's out of the military, they take note that he'd begun advertising a book written about his experiment. So like mm-hmm. he's still obsessed and they're very concerned. 
So they're keeping a track of him. They notice he starts stealing these smoke detectors. They immediately arrest him. So he stole 16 from his building and in another complex, another building in his complex. Um, they found additional empty smoke detectors near his trash. And he'd purchased a bunch and had already pulled it out. Right. So he's arrested and he walks in. He's like, yeah, I did that. I did that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he pleads guilty to attempted larceny of a building and is sentenced to 90 days in jail. And he's like, okay. And the prosecutors are like, go to treatment. We want you in treatment. And they yeah. were like, I'll go to jail. It's fine. Cause there's nothing yeah. wrong with me. I'm just, building a reactor it's fine at any hoot um sadly in 2016 like i said he's at the age of 39 and he's found dead absolutely nothing to do with radiation uh he unfortunately dies as a result of intoxication from alcohol diphenhydramine germamine germamine and fentanyl yeah so his story is very sad They've made books and movies about it. Um, and he was extremely dedicated to his cause and was very young when he started. This being said, he's not the youngest. So let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Yeah. Taylor Wilson is 14 years old and he lives in Arkansas. And he built a nuclear fission reactor in his parents' garage in 2008. The device he names Fuser used an electric field to heat and compress small amounts of hydrogen gas, causing the hydrogen atoms to fuse into helium. The reactor doesn't produce much energy, but it does achieve nuclear fission with fusion, which is what our other boy couldn't do. The plasma core reached a temperature of 580 little m big C meter Kelvin something. Yeah, little, I mean, that's millicuries. So that's a that's a radiation level. Oh, that's probably bad. At 40, 40 times hotter than the sun. Okay. Essentially. Yeah. So he was introduced to science at the age of 10, um, just like Han. And he had the idea to build the reactor from a book on David Han that his grandma bought him for his 10th okay. birthday. <laughs> nice. Unlike Khan, however, he worked within the framework of the law with direct guidance of professionals. So his reactor was a little bit safer than Han's. It's yeah. still a little concerning that a 14-year-old put this together. Yeah. But he goes on to win several awards at science and engineering fairs, um, receive federal funding, and a fellowship to work on his projects. Apparently, he was successful in getting out of the obsession and into the production because he is currently a nuclear scientist who develops nuclear technologies. Um, one of his earliest inventions was a low-cost radiation detector being used in ports and containers worldwide. Nice. Um, and he's interested in nuclear medicine and nuclear engineering as his next career path. Nice. So, yeah. You can do it. Yeah. Well, I mean radiation detectors and stuff are one of the major things that our group works on at K-State in the mechanical and nuclear engineering department. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah. No, I sounds like a little healthier than, than the first story, but yeah, that's sad. It's really sad. Cause I think that he had really good intentions, but he was yeah. obsessed and yeah. that obsession can be deadly. Yeah. No, that's just sad. Yeah. Have you ever, 
the thing that this was tickling my brain as we're talking about this, do you remember the movie? I think it was called the Manhattan project, but it's about a teenager that makes a nuke. It might've been his, his story actually. Cause it's one that basically he makes an actual bomb as kind of like yeah. a science project. He's not trying to kill anybody, but he's like, you know, obsessed with trying to figure out how to make one and lives near a department of energy site and manages to steal some plutonium out of it. And manages to you know make his little bomb but of course he doesn't really know what he's doing so he doesn't properly shield it and it starts up and people have to shut it down and i think it's got john lithgow in it if i remember right but yeah it does have john lithgow in it and a bunch of people i don't know so it says it's from 1986 so this is pre-david hahn yeah but i remember i remember that that movie happening so yeah wow because that's the main thing that i think a lot of people don't realize about a lot of the you know the nuclear side of things is that most of it is hard, mostly because of the inability, you know, inavailability of the materials. Like the materials are right. hard to get. Like it's right. It's not hard to make a nuclear bomb. It's hard to get the materials you need to make an. <laughs> like apparently, so, you just call Czechoslovakia and they just mail yeah, it to apparently you. Apparently, you just call the right people and you're like, oh, I'm I'm a Boy Scout and I want to learn some stuff. Send me some plutonium, please. And you know, I just how how. Like adulty must this kid have sounded at 13, 14 years old to just be able to call these places. And they were like, yeah, this sounds legit. Yeah. Or the opposite, you know, that they're more willing to talk to a kid, you know, like right. some kids like, so mister, how do you do son? You do, you know, da, 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 cool. Right. Not realizing that kids take a project. Notes. Awesome. Yeah. This is how we do stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, if it sounded like an adult, you'd be like, "This might be a terrorist." But if it's some kid, you're just, you know, gonna just talk to the kid like, "Oh, this is a kid that's interested in nuclear things. I like nuclear things. This is what I do for a living." So I'm gonna talk to him about it. But, yeah, I feel yeah. like we've gotten much more suspicious of people calling and asking questions than we used to be. Yeah, probably for good reason. Yeah, I mean, you know, now apparently we you know tackle tackle teenagers because they they made a digital alarm clock at school and it you know I know people out, so. Yeah, the faith in kids has uh, decreased significantly yeah. through time, um, and it's it's a little bit this kid's fault. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. That uh, you know, uh, I guess it's you know, it's generally what happens when you have kids and no supervision. They they do some interesting things. And there used to be much less supervision back then than there is now, apparently. So, yeah. And it sounds like they, his parents were pretty encouraging of a lot of his like behaviors. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know, it, it seems far more, you know, if you're not really following directly what he's doing, you're just like, hey, my kid is into science and doing cool yeah. things. And like, yeah. I'd rather my kid be driving around trying to collect scientific stuff than like drugs. Right. So, you know. Well, it's like, oh, he did try to blow up our house once, but now that he's in the shed, we don't worry about that. He's, t- yeah. you know, now he just goes to antique stores with his girlfriend and comes home with weird things. And yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. he has a girlfriend, so socially, he's yeah, must be somewhat right. inept here. Doing all right. Adept. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's wild. Yeah, that's quite the story. It makes me think of all like the adventures through time that have probably blown themselves up. Like, I bet there's yeah. a list of that out there somewhere. Oh, I'm I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder what percentage of alchemists killed themselves at some point. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, and the complete disregard of the safety side of it just shows how like obsessed he was. Yeah, yeah. Food. I mean, I think it's like, hey, I'm learning all this stuff. I want all these things, but yeah, you know what. 
lot of that stuff's pretty terrifying. <laughs> like I wouldn't want that anywhere near me. But yeah. people get inert of that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I just remember being shocked when I was in physics and like I needed to get some chemicals from like, you know, the chemistry department. And, you know, I read up on the materials data safety sheet and it's like, this stuff gets on you, you could die, you know? So I'm like, like, oh shit, I'm going to have to carry this thing across campus. Like, you know, I'm worried about this. And I get over in the lab and there's some grad student there in the lab wearing flip flops, just grabbing a bottle of it. Just, you know, look, 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 here you go. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, you know, I don't even want to touch that container. It's probably got some on the outside of it. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. You're just like, well, it's not super scary stuff, and I'm used to super scary stuff, so this stuff's fine. Whatever, just take it. You know. I guess you get desensitized to it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, something like that is like, ah, eh, that might kill you after 30 years. Whatever, that's not something worth worrying about. There are other things that will you'll die horribly within seconds if you're around. So you know, that's. I think this is you've just ex- described the perfect example of your brain wasn't formed yet, and then like. Yeah. Later, you're like, well, well, I guess those effects now make yeah. sense. Like, so, I mean, when you're were, 20 something, you live forever, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there were grad students boiling off like all kinds of solvents and stuff in the lab in chemistry and chemi. Like, they weren't supposed to. It wasn't like, right. It wasn't like their advisor told them to do so or something, but they just did it. And I didn't think much about it at the time because that's just what people were doing. And then I like, you know, went to work for Honeywell and they didn't even let that chemical in the lab. You, know, you couldn't bring that chemical into the plant because, right. it, you know, they're like, well, that stuff's dangerous. And like people were boiling that off without a fume hood. Like when I was around, what the hell? Like, I guess it's, you know, they learned their lesson as adults. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, the problem with smart people is that smart people sometimes get blinded by the mission. Yeah. And I mean, that happens to a lot of people, but that, that reminds me that I do want to go see the Oppenheimer movie sometime. Oh my, I want to go see the Barbenheimer. I want to do Oppenheimer and then I yeah. want to go see Barbie. Yep. Me too. That's, that's part of the plan. Charlie and I are definitely seeing both at some point. So totally worth it. Love it. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. So good choices. I love too that Christopher Nolan, who, made the Oppenheimer movie. It's like, I think it's fantastic. And I agree, but I think you should see ours first, take a break and then go to Barbie so that you have a palate cleanser. Cause it's a, a little a, heavy bit of a come down after Oppenheimer. Yeah. Right. But he's super supportive. He's like, absolutely. You should see both of them on the same day. I think that's a yeah. fantastic plan. Like, and he's yeah. like, go see Barbie. That's great. But also, you know, ours is, is going to be different and yeah. Barbie might be a nice palate cleanser. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm going to go, yeah. got to get out there and watch some stuff. But. For sure. Well, cool. Well, awesome topic. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard of this tangentially, but I've never heard any details of it before. I just didn't, you know, knew that it was a Boy Scout that did a bunch of experiments in his shed and, you know, contaminated the area or something. But I never really heard about what was up or anything or what happened to him. So, yeah, the fact yeah. that he didn't, like, get more than a slap on the wrist ever is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it helps that he had zero ill intent. So, right. you know. right. And was underage. So, you know, when you have a kid just doing stupid shit that's not knowingly illegal, you tend to not throw him in jail forever. But who knows? Can you imagine the conversation with the FBI when they set your your parents down like, hey, you probably shouldn't do this. Yeah. Just going to put that out there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I'm not saying I would have been grounded, but. 
Yeah, I, I don't think my parents would have been too happy with you. I, I yeah, I think that. that's that's how mine probably would have felt. <laughs> I mean, they weren't happy enough that I was stealing wood scraps from our other projects around the farm to like, you know, make a make a clubhouse back in the woods. I don't think irradiating the whole area would have made me pop. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think that would have been negative for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Well, awesome. Well, thank you for the story. Um, you know, thank you everybody this for listening to us this week. As always, you know, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about our podcast, and uh, we will see you all in a week. Bye, Bye-bye, folks.